0: Well, hey, everybody. How are you doing? It's good to see you here on Saturday night. I want to introduce to you a friend of mine. This is Gerardo Antivero. He says we can call him Tony. So we're really glad about that. Tony, we're glad you're here. Uh, Now, um, Tony is one of our workers with the North American Mission Board. North American Mission Board is just one of our favorite missions partners, and they represent literally thousands of workers and church planters and points of work all over North America. And uh, Tony is a church planning catalyst for SEND Twin Cities, uh, which is a strategic uh, initiative in the Twin Cities. And you work primarily with uh, Hispanic church plans. So tell us a little bit what you do.
1: Well, uh, not my, first of all, uh, sorry, because my English is not, is not going to be perfect. Uh, my first language <laughs> is mine, Spanish. Mine isn't perfect either, so <laughs> it's all
0: right, actually.
1: My first language is Spanish, and the second one is Portuguese. So, but we are working with around 14 different languages in the Twin Cities. Wow. So planting churches among uh, 14, 15 languages. But Twin Cities, we, we spoke 110 languages in the city. So, but... Uh, so
0: in the Twin Cities, there's 110 languages spoken.
1: Absolutely, wow. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, but we are making a special effort for the Hispanic people, uh, not just Twin Cities area, but also greater Minnesota and greater uh, Wisconsin.
0: Okay, so where, where are some of the places where we've seen some churches uh, that have been started?
1: Well, you know, Hispanic people is everywhere. Yeah. So this is my, uh, my perception. So we need to reach uh, Hispanics in both states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and not only uh, big cities like Minneapolis, but even uh, small towns. For example, we have people, we have missions in uh, Austin, Minnesota, and San Cloud uh, Arc- Arcadia, very really close to here. Okay, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just make a research last night and I see around the Eau Claire area, uh, the average for the Hispanic people is 20 years old. Uh, so it's really low. So that means for me, uh, it's a first generation Hispanics, comfortable with food, Hispanic food, but comfortable with English speaking people, you know. Okay. So we are focusing... Uh, the, the two states to plan new churches.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of times we think to reach the nations we need to go overseas, oh, but yeah. the nations have actually come to yeah. us, haven't they? That's an incredible opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what are some of the language churches that we have in the Twin Cities?
1: Well, we have, uh, for sure, Hispanic. We have uh, Russian, Slavic. It's different. Cambodians, uh, Koreans, Vietnamese, uh, Brazilian. Um, let me see monks different african uh, dialects mm-hmm. um yeah
0: some liberian i think there's a yeah liberian nigerian right. yep. so yep.
1: remember in africa they spoke 450 languages wow. in the full continent of africa wow. so it's crazy
0: wow. and
1: the data said and twin cities we have from every country in africa so that means a lot
0: so do you have any stories of church plants or any people who have been impacted by some of the work that you would well, be willing to share?
1: I have spent 25 years of my life uh, making church planting, so I can, re- uh, I can write a, a book with the stories. But my first one, I just want to share this. Uh, the first time when we started a church in South Carolina, uh, I remember we drove our car with my wife in and, and July with a lot of uh, summer hot, heavy and in front of the church, an, an Anglo church gave us a, a, a building to start a, a mission from zero. And in front of the church, we found five uh, police patrol in front of the church. <laughs> and I told my wife, "Well, we are not to have a church here if those <laughs> police stay here every Sunday 3 p.m." So I took my Bible and say, "I need to talk with those guys." So my English really is poor. And I say, I approach those, the officer and say, listen, my name is Tony. I'm going to be the pastor in this building right here. But listen, if you have neighbors, Hispanic neighbors, I asked the officer, uh, do you want to have a guy who is uh, violent, violent with his uh, wife, uh, drink, uh, drunk every weekend, or having this kind of problem? He said, no, no, no. I don't like this kind of people around me. So do you prefer a Christian people in, as new neighbors? He said, yes. So, well, if I can help you, I, I want to help you. If you please don't stay here every Sunday, 3 p.m., <laughs> I'm going to help you. <laughs> you know what? Those guys agree. And for the next six years, they never show up again on 3 p.m. <laughs> but we can, uh, the Lord can win a hundreds and hundreds of Hispanic people in that city. Wow. Uh, and finally, fun. we worked together with the, the uh, sheriff's department. Uh, so it was a great experience. This yeah. is just one small Tony,
0: experience. Tony, how can we be praying for you as a church, and how can we be praying for the work you do?
1: Well, uh, first of all, praying for uh, new, new planters, something really Great is going on here in the Midwest. Guys, I don't know if you already realize, but uh, the Lord is working among all nations here in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And this is not happening in other, in other uh, states in the Midwest, only Minnesota and Wisconsin. I don't know what is the reason. Uh, in the past, we need to go and to uh, um, pray and to uh, ask for planters to come. Now, since two years ago, we don't need any more. Uh, go uh, for planters because they are calling or sending emails or knocking the door and say, "Hey, we want to go to uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin to plant churches." Mm-hmm. So this is a miracle. So uh, we, you can realize when it's people pushing things and when it's the Lord doing things, it's so different. So you can pray for planters and for uh, you can pray for uh, the families, uh, for resources, for. Whatever, several uh, ways to pray and to be in.
0: Amen. Well, we will pray for you in that way. Um, and we pray for the work of God because we believe God wants praise in every tongue, in every language, from every people. And Amen. he loves all the people. All of us are creating the image of God, precious to God. So I'm actually going to ask you if you won't pray um, for us as we continue on our worship service in your, in your language, sure. in your heart language. Awesome. That would be great. Thank you.
1: Señor, te queremos dar las gracias por la oportunidad que nos das esta tarde de estar aquí en este lugar. Gracias por Pastor Paul y su familia y por los demás pastores en Jacobsville, por cada una de las personas que están aquí. Yo te ruego que tu Espíritu Santo trabaje, bendiga a esta iglesia, Señor, que les haga crecer, que la visión de ellos pueda ser una visión de misiones y que tu gloria sea manifestada aquí en Eau Claire, Señor, en medio de toda esta población que necesita de ti. Muchas gracias por la posibilidad de estar hoy aquí. Te lo pido y te lo agradezco en el precioso nombre de Jesús. Amén y amén. Amén.
0: All right. All right. Thanks, Tony. Let's uh, go ahead and greet each other, and then we'll come back and worship. Just not want that worship to end. <laughs> I'm standing over there thinking, I gotta go preach. We just keep singing. That was good. <clears> he <throat> needed that. It's good stuff. So, uh, you've never heard of Tim Kimball, probably. Not this one, you haven't. This was a Sunday school teacher who was fiercely committed to raise and to teach a group of boys who were particularly wild. They would not listen to him. They would play planks on him. They would distract. They would be irreverent. They would mock sacred things. And for years, this Sunday school teacher invested in these kids and loved these kids and was faithful to these kids, doing things in church and out of church and modeling the love of Christ. One particular day, he went and saw one of the boys who had quit coming to church because he'd gotten a job, went to his job site, and shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man was Dwight L. Moody who started the Moody Bible Institute, a great evangelist in his day. Now, under Dwight L. Moody's ministry, there was another man who converted to Christ. He heard his preaching, and his name was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman became a great evangelist in his own right, and in his day, preached the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. One of the people who came to Christ under his ministry was a very drunken, wild baseball player whose name was Billy Sunday, who was one of the greatest evangelists that... uh, his generation had ever seen. He preached, and a fellow by the name of Mordecai Ham accepted Christ at one of his revivals, became a great evangelist in his own rights, preaching to thousands of people. One day, he went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and a young boy named Billy Frank went and heard him preach. And Billy Graham accepted Christ. Now, that's the thing. What was this Sunday school teacher thinking? This one who was pouring himself into these kids in this time, what's it going to matter? I mean, even if all of them, you know, what's it going to mean? Well, that's God's business, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, this thing of legacy is being faithful with what we have been entrusted whether it be a great thing or a little thing, whether it be a seemingly meaningless thing or a seemingly incredibly significant thing. Because in God's economy, he has so set up the story that the, 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 the little things, the last things, he says, will actually shame the great things. The, the things that, that seem the most minor or modest or unimportant will actually turn out to be those things that are the most key and the most crucial And so what God is not looking for is not success, is not impact as we judge the world's impact. What God is looking for from you and for me is faithfulness, is faithfulness. He is faithful, and he calls us to do the same. This is the story of Esther, right? We've been in this book now for for, uh, seven weeks and and we have this week and then groups you'll continue on in this next week in your devotions. But this incredible story of of faithfulness is an incredible story of two people who chose to risk it all. They, They said, you know what, we have arrived in a place where we are safe and sound, Esther and Mordecai, and we can just use what we have for ourselves or we can listen to God and faithfully risk it all. For the good of our people... And something bigger than ourselves. And and if, if you've been here, you know we've been telling the story of Esther, how this young girl who was an orphan raised by her cousin was taken into the king's harem, and and through through shrewdness and wisdom and God's providence, she rose to the place of being queen. And and how although she and Mordecai, her cousin, were part of a, a persecuted people, a, a people who were in captivity, a, a people who who were on the verge of just being annihilated, she had landed on her feet. And and you remember how we learned the story of how the evil uh, evil guy in the story, Haman, had come up with this plot because he he had an ancient hatred for the people of God, and we still have ancient hatreds pointed towards the people of God, right? And so so Haman had this plot to annihilate the Jews, that on a certain day he, he rolled some dice, and he said, okay, that's the date. On that date, we've got the king. Haman manipulated the, the foolish king into declaring that on that day any people who want can kill the Jews and they can't defend themselves. They're just going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And how Esther and Mordecai came up with the plan to undo that evil plan. And, and last week we looked at how the story turned. That just when Haman thought he was going to be most triumphant, the entire story changed and Haman was thrown down and he was defeated and 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 just like it's going to happen at the end of God's big story that that evil loses it's thrown down and now we're at the point in the story where where evil has been destroyed evil has been conquered and yet there's still a problem the work that evil had done, did and done needs to be undone and so we find ourselves at the point in the story where the evil guy, Haman, has been thrown down. And now Mordecai, the righteous one, and Esther have the ear of the king. But now they've got to undo the evil that's been done. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. How many people you know that Jesus Christ has won the victory? Yeah, right? But how many of you know that in spite of that, there's still a lot of evil to be undone? that there's still some curses that need to be broken. There's still some, some things that are not right that need to be made right. There's still some darkness that needs to find some light. There, there's still some lostness that needs to be found. And so, so just like Esther Nehemiah, we need to see a turning of the tide. So let's pick up the story in chapter 8 and verse 1, and we read this day. Now, now, again, Mordecai has just been killed. He's been exposed as the evil guy. His plot has been just thrown, overthrown, but, but still, still, still his evil plan is still in place. That's what it says. It says, on that day, the king gave to Queen Esther in the house of Haman the enemies of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king. For Esther had told, uh, told what he, he was to her. And the king took off his singet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So here's the deal. So now, Haman, who was the evil guy, he was second in power of the entire kingdom. Now he's been thrown down. And now that power has been given to Mordecai. Can you imagine? This guy who was kind of a lower official, now he has the power that was given to Haman. And in fact, his whole household was given to Mordecai. And so the evil is thrown down. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And that that in the end, evil will have its face covered in shame. But the righteous will shine like the sun. And so, so here's Mordecai standing, and now he has this ring. And with this ring comes great power. And what is he going to do with it? Now, verse 7, let's skip down there. It says, Then the king said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on a gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict was written in the name of the king, and uh, and was written in the name of the king, and sealed with the king's ring that cannot be revoked. So let me just explain what's going on. The king says, here's the deal. I'm giving you my ring, and you can do whatever edict you want, but the mess is the mess. He says, the edict has already been put, my, my seal has been put on the order that all the Jews can be annihilated, and I can't undo that. Because remember, this is what we said, is that, that everybody thought the king was like a god. And every time he spoke, he was speaking the words of a god. And whenever he put his seal on something, that was a divine Word from a God, and if he comes now and he says, I'm just going to undo that, all the people are going to say about the king, well, maybe he's not a God. So he says, here's the ring, you can do what you can do, but you can't actually undo the evil. Sometimes it feels like we can't undo the evil, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels like the darkness is going to overwhelm. That at the end of the day, the the darkness just grows and grows and grows and grows. And sometimes we're not exactly sure what to do. Now, what we have in this story is the incredible wisdom and the discernment of Esther and Mordecai who found a way around the problem. And the answer was, and this is important because this is so much of the heart of what we want to do here at Jacob's Well. This is so much... My heart as a pastor, I believe it's the heart of our overseers. I believe it's the heart of our staff. What, 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 what the answer is, is to empower the people. Look what he does in verse 10. He says, and, and, and Mordecai wrote in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's singet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers, writing swift courses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud. So he, 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 he comes up with a plan. He seals it up and he sends it out. Now what's the plan? Verse 11. He says, now this plan says, this new edict that came from the king says, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy and to kill and annihilate any armed forces of people or provinces that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. And so this is what happened. Originally the Jews were vulnerable, remember, because they were scattered all over the empire and they had made a law that they couldn't gather together and they would made a law that they could only speak in their language and so they were scattered and they were weak the other thing is that they couldn't have weapons they couldn't have um, the ability to defend themselves and so this other edict comes and it says okay rather than undoing the law that says the jews who are vulnerable we're going to let the good jews gather up and they get to defend themselves they get to fight back they get they get to come and they get to say you know what darkness doesn't get to win light wins they get to 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 resist those who are going to kill them and and they go to war against these folks and what ends up happening is the ones who were seemingly going to be plundered plunder the ones who are seemingly going to be destroyed these are the ones who destroy the ones who seemingly were going to be conquered they become conquerors. it's about empowering the people of God that, that's what God has wanted to do you know it's an interesting thing that that Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross and and he provided salvation and then he came up with this idea that he wanted everybody in the world to know about this and then he wanted his people to go into the world and bring light and justice and freedom and the message of salvation do you know who he entrusted that message to us I know no one's more surprised than I am (laughs) I sometimes you go, okay, God, what's plan B? No, seriously, there's a group of angels you're going to send, fire. No, one of the last things, we're going to see this on Easter. One of the last things that Jesus did when he said is it, when he went to heaven, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He said, I give you the Holy Spirit. I am empowering you. In the Pentecost, the Bible says the Spirit came on people with power. And, and when the Spirit of God comes into people whose lives are yielded to him, who who have moved from an owner to a steward, that my life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God, and I want to be used by God. When the Spirit of God comes in, it mixes with their talents, and their intelligence, and their creativity, and it makes them powerful. You see, in, in Christ, you are powerful. In the Spirit of God, you are powerful. And you are not powerful just to kind of quietly survive, but you are powerful to come up Against the darkness. And so, so the, the plan here is to empower people. And that's what we try to do around here at Jacob's Well. I mean, that's why we do things like write, write devotions for you. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to get you to not need us. And to only need God. We're trying to, to get you so that you're fortified and you're empowered so that whenever you go out, where you go out, you can stand for Christ. You can be a light in a dark place. You can speak truth where lies are believed. You can bring love when there's nothing but hate. And so our job is to not, you know, get you to be dependent on it. So I got a problem. I'm going to run to Paul. Oh, I, I just know how I'm going to make it. And it's okay. We want to be there for you. We're going to pastor you, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we haven't succeeded unless we equip you To do the work of ministry. You see that? And so how are we going to come up against the darkness? How are we going to undo the darkness and the the brokenness that's still broken? Well, you're the answer. The spirit of God in you and me, this is the thing. This is why we do small groups. You know, we have over 100 small group leaders. And these are beautiful people who are using their gifts to teach and to comfort and to shepherd. And, and when I gathered them up and, and taught them at the beginning of Esther series, I, I asked them from my heart, will you help me shepherd God's people? Because I can't get to all God's people. Will you help me shepherd God's people? And, and, and I saw several of them with tears in their eyes because they're loving the people who are in their groups. And frankly, some of you are very, very difficult to love. You know who you are, and some of you should know who you are, and you don't, which is terribly sad. <laughs> but you're on a journey, and we're not going to judge you, so. We, we, we go out, and we find things like Right Now Media, which is 18,000 resources. We're kind of taking away your excuse not to grow. I don't know what to do. I don't have anything. Yeah, you got 18,000. There's probably a couple good ones in there. How much it cost? It's free. Just go to the website. We'll send you a password You get your deal. It's all set up. That's why we do a resource center. So that we can come and come alongside you. That's why we do family ministry we do. Because we don't want to parent your kids. Oh, man, we don't want to parent your kids. We don't want to parent our own kids sometime. Just to be perfectly <laughs> frank with you on that one. in that kind of a week, right? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> wow. Well, you know what I mean? But we want you to be the spiritual champions in your kids' lives. We want you to have spiritual answers. We want you to teach them how to pray and how to read the Bible and who Jesus is. I mean, that's your main job as a parent, to teach your child to be a disciple of Christ. You see? We want to empower you. Do to That's why we do parent journey. We do marriage journey. That's why we teach out to do your finances through Dave Ramsey. That's why we do the things we do, so that you would be empowered in Christ to stand. You know, some of you just can't imagine, can't believe that about yourself. But in Christ, you are powerful. We're going to do a whole series on that starting next week about being powerful in Christ. But the plan for Esther, the plan for Mordecai, the plan for this story was to empower the people. And indeed, they did empower the people. And indeed, the people did defend themselves. And they actually struck down their enemies. Enemies that it looked like we're going to kill them were wiped off the face of the earth. And instead of being marginalized poor people, they took the plunder of their enemies, and they became people who now had wealth. And that wealth allowed them to live and to prosper in a foreign land, in a difficult land, until they could return to God's promised land and rebuild the wall with Nehemiah, remember, and the temple, and to be the people of God. And God allowed them to prosper all throughout that part of the world. There are still parts of the world where Jewish descendants of these people still live today. So they've been prospering in those places for thousands of years. You see, it all comes back to this. See, the little things mean everything. And listen to what it said happened to the people. They, they experienced a salvation. They were saved from physical death, from the death that their enemies were going to bring on them, the death of their people. Listen to what it said about them in Esther chapter 8, verse 16. It said, The Jews, listen to it, it's four words, had light. Oh, we need to bring light. In a dark world where there's ignorance and there's lack of knowledge of the truth, lack of knowledge of Christ, the people actually don't know that there's a God who loved them, loved them so much they sent their son, his son, that had light and they had gladness, they had gladness that gladness, that there was a happiness, there was a release of the tension and the anxiety and the fear, there was a gladness and, and there was a joy, a joy, a, a joy is that incredible biblical concept the, the theologian, I love it, just says, it is an inward sense of well-being that cannot be shaken by external situations these people who had tasted god's salvation and look at this and they had honor Do you see that they had honor what that is is a renewal of dignity and and so much of what we need to understand about the story of god is that god's great desire is to renew the dignity of all people you know because what ended up happening is we were created in the garden with dignity but sin came comes in and sin corrupts it degrades, it debauches These are hard words, but that's exactly what sin does. It tears us down and makes us common and ordinary. And when we are freed from sin, we rise up in the dignity of our original creation. And so we are called to honor. And you see that the Jews experienced this when they were physically saved from annihilation. How much more do we have? Because we were facing eternal annihilation eternal damnation, eternal separation from God because of our sin. And Christ stepped in and died for our sins. And now we have light in Christ and gladness in Christ and joy in Christ and honoring Christ. It says in every city and province, wherever the King's command needed reach, there was gladness and joy among the Jews and a feast and a holiday. And many from the people of the country declared themselves Jews for fear The the Jews had fallen upon them. And so now instead of being a marginalized people, everybody realized that the Jews have the favor of the king and much more, the Jews have the the favor of God. And so now they became incredibly powerful and they celebrate their their celebration of salvation. You know, um, one of the coolest celebrations of salvation is something called baptism. Baptism. You know what baptism is? It's a person standing in a tub of water. Some of you may have never seen this. Maybe visiting. And, and they're standing there. It's a picture of them without God dead. And then they go under the water. And that's a picture of them being buried. And then their sin stays behind when they're buried. And a new person rises from the dead. It's a picture of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Which we put our faith and trust in. And when a person is baptized, they're celebrating. They say, I have had light come into my life. I was in such darkness. You know what? I was such dark. you know what? I come in a spirit of gladness, a lightness of heart, because my biggest problem has been solved. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, your biggest problem has been solved. Your biggest problem has been solved. And you know what? I come, I come with, with joy. I come with this inward sense of well-being, because in spite of the things that are going on around me, at the end of the story, I know God is faithful. Evil loses, light and goodness wins, and I'm on the side of good, and in the midst of all this, I still have this joy, and I come with honor, because Christ is restored, and renewed, and is renewing my dignity, and setting my feet on a solid place, in the most beautiful, and the most wonderful way, and so we celebrate that, and so baptism is a celebration of this new life, this salvation. And here's the deal. We do baptisms, you know, four or five times around the year here at Jacob's Well, three, four times, something like that. But but my favorite time of the year to do baptism is not actually splash. I love splash in the summer, but we do baptism last couple of years on Easter. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but Easter is just a couple of weeks away. And so this Easter, once again, we're going to do baptisms. And, and I tell you what, I used to preach about the resurrection on Easter. and I think it was pretty good, right? Was It pretty good. Thanks, all right. Thanks, some of you people. Just this. Anyway, the thing is, the first year we started baptizing people on Easter, and we started hearing stories of life change, a person who was dead and now they're alive in Christ, and one after the other, that's when Easter became alive in this place, for me anyway. And so this Easter, if you're here and you say, you don't have a about doing that baptism thing. Or, you know what, that's my story. I was in darkness, I'm finding light. You know what, I I found a joy that's in Christ. Well, then you should get baptized this Easter. We actually got a class coming up for Easter. Grant mentioned in the announcements. We've got a class for children, one for youth, and then then we've got one for adults as well. And so you can come out and you can learn about this thing of baptism, which is a celebration of the joy. And and Easter is going to be a celebration of joy. Look at the people the response to the salvation was to actually create a holiday. Look at chapter 9, verse 26. It says, Therefore, because of all that happened to the Jewish people, they called these days Purim, after the term pure. So here's the deal. They cast lots, and they threw the lots, and the lots were meant to be a chance, are lucky. And 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 so so the evil Haman cast lots to pick the day of the death of the people of God, and that passed by. And so instead of the people of God Seeing that their luck had run out, they took the term Purim, and they made it the name of their holiday. And they weren't trying to say that we're lucky or chance has given us favor. It says that we don't need luck, we don't need chance, because we have a God who has a plan. We have a God who is with us, and this becomes a celebration. Actually, I don't realize this or not, but Purim among the Jewish people was celebrated last week. So last week they've been doing this for 2,000 years. It says after the term, therefore, because it was written uh, of all that was written in the letters and what had been faced in this matter and what had happened to them. Verse 27, the Jews firmly obligated themselves. You see that? They firmly obligated themselves. They committed themselves and their offsprings. And all who joined them without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written in the time appointed every year. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan and province and city. And these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. And so to this day, they celebrate the time they were delivered. That's what Easter is for us. And that's really what every day should be for us. That, that there was a time that we didn't know God, we didn't know about his love. There was a time we were without God and without Christ, and it absolutely changed everything. That's what we're all about. That's what this church is all about. That's what this thing we talk about, live it well, is all about. You know, um, when you came in, uh, you were given this little card. And what this card I want to tell you about is a commitment card. And this is a card, something very similar to it that we gave to all of our people. Some some of you were here last year, um, and I'm going to tell you more about it in just a minute. But there was a, a family that was really challenged in the area of tithing based on this card, and we want to hear their story. Let's listen to the Mortimers.
2: My name is Nancy Mortimer. This is my husband, David Mortimer.
3: When we met in Chicago, we met in a homeless shelter. And uh, for about 10 years, we worked with low-income... We were living in the homeless shelter. (laughs) We worked there. We worked with homeless people. I worked with older adults, elderly homeless people. And it was just the most fascinating, fabulous ministry kind of opportunity ever. To meet the woman of your dreams there, fall in love, be engaged, get married, start your family. We had our first two girls there. Um, started our family in that 10-year period. and It was just a really rich ministry period. However, it wasn't a lucrative ministry period. <laughs> it was kind of like a vow of poverty ministry period. Whenever Nancy would bring up tithing, I would just have this block because money was so tight. We had bought our first house. We were 40 years old, had our third baby, 40 years old. <laughs> it was just uh, financially... You know really hard for me to tithe. I felt like we really needed to do
2: the ten percent thing and you know when we lived in the ministry we didn't have an income to tithe we
3: tithed with our time and our services. Dad is still just finding his mind while we we did a hundred percent for ten years and that's good <laughs> for a couple of decades.
2: Ten. It's ten. <laughs> but then the Live It Well campaign was stretching us again and, and David said okay Okay, well let's do this amount, let's do it consistently, every week, no matter what. And so we made that commitment to do that, and that was like another baby step. It was neat to see that he was stepping out in faith now, and he was the one saying, okay, let's do this, and let's do it consistently.
3: We were trying to get to that baby step of the emergency fund. We just were never able to get to that emergency fund, funding that. And we knew that God was taking us along. I, I had faith that that we'd get there eventually. We started tithing faithfully, regularly, and um, just like, Lord, we're going to trust you. I think it was springtime, we got this envelope in the mail, and we opened it up. There were five checks in this envelope, each check was $10,000 each written out to a different member of our family. We had supper that night and we sat down with our girls because it was just so overwhelming. I mean Nancy and I were both in tears because that was our emergency fund and I look back and think of all the the trust issues that I had and was struggling with. It is hard and to be faithful
2: in the hard things that's where that's where the reward is it's not doing it when it's easy it's doing it when it's hard and being faithful
3: the Lord is Lord of all life all of our problems all of our needs He knows all of them and it was just a revelation to me that I can throw myself throw my family into His arms in just absolute trust (laughs) And, and obedience is its own reward. The lordship of Christ is in every part of our lives. He knows our needs tomorrow. He's going to provide, and it's just—it's such a relief. We I mean, talk about stress and worry, anxiety. And just put in His hand. When we come to Jacob's Well and we see all the kids just lives, second, third, fourth generations. It's just amazing and it's exciting to be all in and a part of what exciting things God is doing. We invest in lives of people and that's what's
2: going to last, not in things. Yeah, we're investing in a building, but that building is going to be used to touch lives and do amazing things. I can't believe in the 10 years that we've been coming here how much this church has grown and changed it's amazing what God is doing and it's a little bit mind-blowing and humbling to to be a part of that
0: my, my favorite line in that is obedience is its own reward I'll just say that again obedience is its own reward this is such a great story and there's so much more to the story i know uh, david's right over here i'm sure he's coming over. of skin you tell the rest of the story tell the, rest of the story it just was how god provided for them and this was just a a kind man in their neighborhood who they'd cared for who died and their sister sent this because he left them in the will and had no idea and and they didn't know how they were going to have their kids go to college and one of their daughters just graduated from college debt-free because that was the beginning, they worked hard, they got a plan, and just an amazing thing that God just provided, and these are guys who spent like a decade or longer in a homeless shelter just following God. Now, Dave's uh, one of our um, overseers in training. We'll present him at our next annual meeting for approval, and, and, and it's just an incredible guy. Now, one thing, you, David, I want me to tell you is make sure is that this is not a prosperity thing, so we're not saying start to tithe, and you'll get $10,000 checks. I know... <laughs> Because I sat on my porch for like a week after I heard this and nothing came. So it does not work that way. Just first-hand experience on that. So, but this is the deal, is that even if, if God doesn't, you know, show up in that kind of way, he's going to show up in all kinds of other spiritual ways. And that's why we called people to this last year. And it was amazing. We, we actually had hundreds of families step up and start to give. And and hundreds who had been giving, who actually took a huge step of becoming people who are tithing, and so many gave above the tithe. And so we're one year into it; we're on track, things are going well. And so you know, why are we passing these things out again? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is, like I say, we've had 650 new families and individuals visit our church over the last year, and so we're asking if you're new to Jake's. Well, you made this home prayerfully, you know, as you've been doing the Esther study, you've been reading about it, prayerfully just consider filling this out, dropping it in the the, the offering plate this week or even next week. And what that does is it allows us to plan. It's an encouragement for all of us together who are doing our thing. If you're here and you've made a commitment and and you just want to reaffirm your commitment, fill out that and just put maybe under the thing, hey, same as last time, you know, in terms of the, not the same, we're on track, you know. So the point is, is that, that um, we're just asking people to make a commitment, keep their commitment, follow throughs on their commitment, and that's what we're asking people to do. Um, you know, um, this is really all about um, funding the work of the local church. But before any of that, it's about, um, it's about this thing of obedience and following Christ Wherever we are on our journey. So so I want to challenge you a couple with a couple things. One, I want to challenge you to just prayerfully consider the philanthropy submitment card. If you're not sure and you're still not sure about this tithing thing, I've mentioned this a couple times. If you go back and listen to the message from February 5th last year, you can go and you can watch it on um jacobswellchurch.church. Uh, There's a message called First Fruits. If you would listen to that, it would lay down what we as a church believe about this thing of giving and tithing in just a beautiful way. As always, we want to challenge you with next steps. this season to consider the Builders for Christ thing. Let me just give you a little update. We have over 900 people from all over the country committed to come with Builders for Christ. So there are folks who are committed. So these folks are coming. We actually got a, a group this week that's looking. and just, it's God's incredible thing. And right now we have about 170 of our people signed up uh, for weeks and hundreds more that planning, but you people haven't organized your summer yet, and I get that, um, but do that, and let's keep signing up so that we can just have the most amazing experience of seeing God work in the, ne- in the most amazing way, and, and be in prayer church, because here's the deal, there's a lot of darkness to undo, There are people who still haven't heard the message of Christ. There are people who have heard the message of Christ who are struggling with deep things, and they need the church of Jesus Christ to be at her absolute best so that she can help people know and become like Christ. I'm going to pray, and then the team is going to come, and they're going to sing a song that is about the tide turning the most powerful way in preparation for Easter, which is just a couple weeks away. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your church. I thank you so much for the people who are your church. And I just ask, Father God, that you would just show us, Father God, um, just how we can, each one of us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, stand against darkness, stand against lostness, just, just come against that, that which is uh, just broken in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have died on the cross for us. And because of that, our biggest problem is, is solved, and now we are free in Christ to live our life in your power to just do the good things that you've called us to do. Father, help each one of us as individuals and all of us as your church to live this out and to live it well. In Jesus' name, amen.